Well, we are continuing a series called God's Not Dead um, based on a movie. Um, it's loosely based on this movie. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry, you won't be lost during the sermon series. Um, but we are really glad you're here. The first week's sermon is out on, uh, on the web if you want to hear that. But um, we're going to give you a chance today to just kind of get a deep breath and get some perspective on your life. Um, hoping that, uh, that you can do that today. I prayed for you this morning um, on the way here and just prayed, number one, that you would leave here today with uh, just an, a better understanding of how much God loves you. And if you leave with that and kind of that deep breath, um, then that's worth your time today. Before we get started, I um, want to uh, just have a quick word of prayer and kind of give you a chance to let go of the stuff that's going on. There's some heavy hearts today, and I know, I know that feeling. Um, if you're not careful, that heaviness just kind of starts to weigh down your life, and you, you, don't, you don't hear anything that God's trying to say in your life, um, and you'll kind of miss today. So if you can, just kind of take a deep breath today and let it go a little bit um, and get some perspective. So let's do that this morning. A little bit of quiet. There's a lot of kids in here, so it probably won't be very much quiet. Um, but uh, let's, let's just have a moment of quiet. Ask God to kind of calm your heart today, and then we'll jump right in today. Oh God, it feels good to be quiet. It feels good to be in a place where we can kind of take a deep breath and get a better understanding of how our lives fit together and what's supposed to go first, and what's important and what kind of falls by the wayside. God, in the deepest part of who we are, whether we're 100% sure of that you're there and love us or whether we're still kind of kicking the tires on it, the deepest part of who we are knows there's more. And so God, today, the people in this place come to hear truth. Not to get a cold chill, not to feel good, but to hear what is true, what is real, and what makes a difference in our lives. Would you lead us to that today? And would you prepare our hearts not to just hear something, but to do something because of what we hear? And we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. So the, the question that I want to talk about today reminds me of, um, of a story that my brother told um, when he was in high school. He played on the high school basketball team, and there was a kid that was in his class, in his age, um, that had wanted to play basketball his whole life, but he had a mental disability. Um, and he was just a little bit behind. In, in today's society, it would have been a little bit different. They would have probably had more classes specifically for him. Um, would have probably treated him a little bit differently, but he had a mental disability, and he was just mainstreamed right in with the rest of the kids, and he just kind of got a little bit of help as he got, and he loved basketball, always wanted to play, couldn't, didn't have the mental capacity or the physical capacity to play, but the coach had said, you know what, let's, let's let him come into the locker room at times um, just to kind of give him some inspiration and, and give the rest of the kids some, some energy, and so um, the, my brother's basketball team made sectionals that year, um, and during sectionals, they finally, they, they decided, you know, let's, let's let him in and, and really fire up the team. So they, they let him in, and he, he came into the, 
to the locker room, and, you know, the high school kids were really kind of trying, the, the basketball team were trying to really make him feel good, and he came in and he said, hey, guys, guys, I love you guys. That's what he kept saying. I love you guys. I love you guys. You're going to win. You're going to beat them. And so the, the more he talked, he just kept saying, I love you guys. You're going to win. You're going to beat them. I love you guys. You're going to win. You're going to beat them. And the whole high school team, the guys started getting fired up. I mean, just really fired up. And so the coach thought, man, this is this is great. We'll have him come in at halftime, too, and keep the guys charged up. So the, by the end of the time, he kept saying, I love you guys. You're going to win. Let's go. Let's, and they start chanting, and they, they get around him, and it was really an emotional thing, and the coach thought he'd just really done a good job. So they went out, and man, they just got trounced in the first half of this game. I mean, they were down by 26 at the half. A couple of their main guys had too many fouls. They had terrible turnovers. Coach was mad, and he had already told this kid that he could come in at halftime. And so he, the coach comes in, he comes in at halftime and starts yelling at the, the kids, and everybody's down, and they bring in this, this, this kid who had this disability. And the coach thought, well, maybe, maybe it's okay. You know, maybe he's going to say, I love you guys. I love you guys. You're going to win. It's going to be okay. And he came in, and all the kids started looking at him. He came in, and he said, I hate you guys. You're awful. <laughs> he turned around and walked out. <laughs> and they lost by about 40, as I remember. But it made the whole team just laugh. Because here, here's the thing, and this is, what, this is what reminds me today. That's not the story you thought I was going to tell. You thought I was going to get this. Really, the team won because he was so emotional. But the, the truth is, this guy, he didn't really have faith in the team. He really didn't. He, what he wanted was he wanted to be a part of things. He, wanted, he had this emotional moment, and in that emotional moment, he said some things that sounded good. But when things got really bad, his faith rose to the surface in the team. And when things got really bad and awful, it, it, it came to light what was really in his heart, what was in his mind. Now, you do that, too. You're watching the Indiana basketball team, or you're watching the Colts, and you go, yeah, we can win, and you get to halftime, you go, these guys are awful, and the coach needs to go, and, and uh, you know, we all do this. And the truth is, the, only the deepest fans, only those who have real faith in our team, are calm. And the question that I've got today is a question that has gone on since the beginning of God and of, his, of our relationship with Him. And the question is this, does God want us to have blind faith? Does he want us to have the kind of faith where we just go, you know what, whatever. I, I don't even, I don't know, I don't care what's real. I'm not sure I even care what's true. I'm just going to believe. And the truth is, the reason God doesn't want us to have blind faith is because it's just like this kid in the locker room. It, it sounds good at the time, and you do this. You do this and I do this. Those places in our life where we don't have real faith, where we just have this blind faith, we come in and we go, yay God, it's awesome, yay God. And then we sing songs just like this kid did. Yes, go, I love you, 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 I love God, we all love each other, and then something bad goes on in your life, and you go, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate God, we're all going. And, and the problem is that this is why God doesn't want blind faith in your life. He wants faith that is based on some real, physical, tangible things in your life. And so as we talk about this today, I really want to, uh, to have you kind of, I want to poke at you a little bit today, which is something I've gotten... Um, <laughs> accustomed to around here to kind of just say what do you really believe and and what is it that God wants from you deeply if you've watched this movie at all you know that there is a um, there's a lot of question about what faith is and I'm going to talk a little bit about that today but I'm going to do something today that um, that I've done maybe one other time here and I've never done anywhere else and that is I'm going to tell you some really personal things today about why I believe that what we're doing is real 
Um, I, you've heard me say before that I'm, 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 I wasn't given the gift of faith like some people. The um, Bible makes it clear that some people are kind of born with this propensity to just kind of go, you know what, 2 plus 2 doesn't really add up, but you know what, I'm not, I, it's okay. I, I still believe there's a God, and, and I, I wasn't gifted that way. I, I, I was, I'm kind of that guy that needs to see 2 plus 2 equal something close to 4. <laughs> and if it doesn't, then I've got a lot of questions. And, and so I have a lot, of, a lot of questions about science. I have a lot of questions about if God did this, then why this? I have a ton of questions in my life, and I think God built me that way because he knew I'd be standing up here someday talking to a group of people who mostly feel the same way I do. And if I just stood up here and say, you know what, quit asking questions, just believe. You'd all go home and you'd be just like this, my, my brother's friend at the basketball game. Everything would be fine until it's not. And so... I want to tell you today a few reasons that I believe um, and a few reasons that I believe that, that God intends for you to believe and the way that he tends for you to build your faith. And, and uh, first I want to talk about um, a phrase that you maybe never heard before um, and that is this, that faith is a choice. Did you know this? That when, we, when we talk about faith, we often think about it's something that happens to us. I, I, as I do premarital counseling with people, I realize that especially really young people, and if you're in high school today, you better perk up and listen to me for a second, because here's what we believe when we're in high school, and this is just what happens. And when we're junior high, high school, and sometimes even it doesn't go away when we get older, we think that marriage and love is something that happens to us, like, and we even say it. We say we fall in love, like, oops, you know, I stepped in it, and it, I fell in, you know? That's not what, those of us who have been around for a while and when it comes to relationships know that's not what love is. That's not what a marriage is. You don't fall into it. You step into it. And sometimes you try to climb out of it. And then you climb back into it. And you claw your way to what is love and what is relationships. And it is wonderful and it is an amazing thing. But love and marriage is a choice. It's not something that happens to you. And the same is true about faith. You don't wake up some morning and fall in love with God. You don't wake up some morning and just have faith that everything's going to be okay and that God is, is who he says he is and that all of this, that you come and dress up, no, we don't dress up around here, but that you come and at least put clothes on of some sort and you park into the parking lot and you come in here and you could be sleeping in bed and during this time, especially the colder it gets, the more you just want to kind of pull the covers over you, but you come in here anyway, the more you want this to be real. You don't want to just come in and go, well, let's just pretend it's good, and let's not ask the tough questions. And so what I've done is, is in this sermon series and, and through into the, into the winter here and into the end of the year, we're going to dig really heavy into some of the biggest questions that, are, uh, uh, that involve our faith. Because I believe one God is big enough, and I also believe that when you begin to answer these questions, you move from trying to fall in love with God, from trying to just find faith, to growing your faith, to growing a real understanding of who God is, because faith is a choice. And what that means is, true faith, real faith, cannot be forced or imposed on somebody else. Now, this is going to get me in some trouble, and that's okay, not in this church, but if you're listening online and, and you do some of these things, then I'm just sorry that I just disagree. We, this is why we don't brainstorm, brain, brainstorm. We don't brainwash our kids. There are churches all over the country that brainwash their kids. They, they just, if you just repeat after me enough times, and, if we, and we do memorize Scripture because we believe it lights our path and it does some great things, but we don't believe that Scripture is what creates faith in us by itself, just memorizing Scripture. We don't do any kind of brainwashing because we know that in the long run, faith, real true faith, can't be imposed. Now, one of the things about this movie is that it has created 
um, a new resurgence for what is called apologetics. Apologetics is the, uh, it, it's, it's sort of the science and the art uh, and, and the, uh, the idea that as a Christian and as somebody who believes in God that I need to go out and tell other people why I believe in God. And there's some real value in that. And, even, and Paul even says, be ready to give a, to give a reason for what you believe. And, and part of the reason for that is so that other people can understand and know who God is. But there is a sort of a militant group rising up. Because, and every time a movie comes out like this, there is this militant group of Christians who say, let's go tell people we're right. And let's go tell people why they're wrong. Somehow, in the long run, they believe that if they tell you that, that they're right and you're wrong long enough, that you'll have some kind of a faith. But the truth is, the faith comes by their choice, not by your imposition, or even by you trying to convince them that you're right. So one of the things I want you to do as a Christian, if you're a Christian in this place, if you're, you're kind of off the hook if you're kicking the tires and you're not Christian yet. You're, but if you're a Christian and you've decided, I'm going to follow Jesus, you need to know that Jesus wasn't in the business of convincing people that he was right and that there was a God. Did you know that? That his life wasn't about getting on Facebook and trying to copy and paste all the links he can find to prove that God exists. That's not what he was. Because in the long run, what, what he knew was being right doesn't mean much in our culture. Being right just pops, props you up and pushes everybody else down. So what Jesus did, he went around and instead of convincing people, he compelled people by the way he lived his life. So if you can walk away from this today, and you can walk away from this sermon series, not militant, not ready to be right, not ready to be going out into the world and, and, and convincing people that you're right and they're wrong, because that doesn't win anybody to Jesus, and that doesn't cause any belief or any growth in faith. What causes belief and growth in faith is when you compel somebody, and the way you compel somebody is by the way you live your life, not by the things that come out of your mouth. So, all that said, you can tell I could preach a whole sermon on that. It fires me up. I want to tell you that I believe, I believe strongly that there is a creator. I believe strongly that he created what's around us. I believe strongly that Jesus Christ it was God, that he came to earth physically. I believe that he died on the cross for the junk in my life, and I believe that I'm going to heaven at the end of this life. And there are some real strong reasons that I believe that. One is my brain. Now, I've got a small one. I have a very small brain, and it's not filled with much, and I have to continually push things out of it. I still remember, I can still go around the horn for the 1985 Chicago Cubs and tell you who played every position. But do not ask me my kid's Social Security number, because I don't know. I don't know why my brain retains some things and lets the and more important things go, but I can tell you that my brain is an important part of my faith, and that God absolutely does not want you to have blind faith. That he, what he wants for you is to use your brain to, de, to, to discover, to find all the things you can find. The way I do that is I, I try to connect with people who have big brains, smart people around me. I try to make really good connections. My dad is one of those people. When it comes to science, I, often I'll, I'll be watching a show that it doesn't, you know, the, the creators don't, don't believe in God and they'll mention something about evolution or they'll mention something and it just clicks with me like, holy cow, that makes sense. What they said just makes sense. 
but it's not congruent with what I know of God, so I need to go talk to my dad, who is much smarter than me, and say, Dad, what about Noah's Ark? Like, what, 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 were there camels on Noah's Ark, or were camels something that came from something else? What, what are these things? And so I'll go to Dad, and he'll just go, okay, let's sit down. He'll draw me a picture of what this looked like, because he knows I need pictures. That's where I'm at. And, and I've, created, I've found some really good spiritual people in my life who are the same way, where I can go, you know what? The Bible says this, but then this thing happens in my life, and I, I, those two things don't match up. So God has put these people in my life, and one of the things he wants you to do right now is find those people in your life. Because there are people who, who get it in these areas, that God is gifted in these specific areas. You can ask my dad just about anything about science, and he'll either, he either knows the answer, or he will not finish out the day until he finds the answer, because it drives him nuts. And, and I know people like that in all areas of my life, and so do you. And it's part of what God wants for you, to dig into the people around you. To, you know what, right now you have a better tool than anyone in history for learning about God, and it is the internet. You can go and Google anything you want. Now you can find things that won't help you much. But if you work hard enough at it and you get the right resources, you have access to more libraries than any culture in the history of human life. God intends for your brain to be a big part of it. I'm going to talk about that just a little bit today. He intends for your experience to be a big part of your faith. He wants everything that goes on in your life, He wants to, you to be able to leverage every experience you have to better grow your faith. This happens in my house all the time, and it usually happens when we're outside. Um, Reese in London um, and, and my, my whole family just loves to be outside, and I can't tell you how many times we've been somewhere and just had a normal hike or a normal walk from my grandmother's house to my mom and dad's house, and something happens. There was an animal comes by, or something happens in the outdoors, and I get to say, that's how God made this thing. God made this so that this would happen, and then this would happen, and, and, and my, my dad's so good with the kids like this, though, he'll walk outside and he'll say, so um, how do you think the plants live? How do you think the plants live? And the kids will say, well, um, they, they, they live from, London's learning all this now. She's, I've got to be real careful. Um, she said, they, they breathe carbon dioxide. And Dad said, well, that's, that's awesome. London, I'm so glad you know that. They breathe carbon dioxide. Um, and what do, they, what do they put out after they breathe carbon dioxide? And London said, oxygen. Dad said, that's amazing. God's amazing. So what do we breathe in? And London said, oxygen. Yeah. The same thing the plants breathe out, we breathe in. And then what do we breathe out? And London goes, carbon dioxide. So the plants need what we're breathing out, and we need what the plants are breathing out, and we just, and Dad goes, doesn't sound like an accident, does it? Can you imagine that that happened by accident? There's no way that would be an accident. God had a really good plan. I'll tell you what, London took a step in her faith at that moment. She made the connection. It wasn't dad stretching. It wasn't him brainwashing her. It was her, him drawing a connection to say, see, this normal human experience has drawn something else. Parents, don't think for a second that what God wants for you to do when it comes to your kid's relationship with God is to jam devotionals down their brain. It's to just bring them to church and shove them in the Sunday school classroom. That, those little things are helpful, but I'm telling you, the, what God wants most is for you to leverage the experiences they're having. You can't do that if you're at work while they're at the basketball game. You can't do that if you're at mowing the yard while they're inside doing something else. You have to spend quality time. You've got to spend tons of time with them so that you can help them leverage the experiences that they're having. And then finally, my faith 
causes me to believe, and we're going to talk about what I mean by that, um, because faith and belief aren't the same thing, and we're going to talk about why here in a minute. So I, I want to talk about the brain real quick, and I know this is going to sound a whole lot more like a Sunday school lesson for a second than it is a sermon, and I'm sorry for that, but I'm hoping this really helps those of you who need what I need in this way. So I went to Bible college um, in 1993, and um, in some ways it was one of the worst experiences of my life, and in other ways it was one of some of the best experiences of my life. Um, I was, uh, was never offered pot or drugs in my life in high school until I got to my freshman year in Bible college. Um, and I saw more pot, more drugs, more alcohol, more debauchery, more sex before marriage, more all that in my first year of Bible college than I'd seen in my entire life. Um, just not at all what I expected, but what I found out was that what parents do is they, they can't get their kids right in high school, so they send them to Bible college to see if that'll work, you know? And so I met all those kids, all in one place. And when I got there, I, I had a couple experiences. One was I met a whole lot of people who believed really strongly that their mission in life and that what God wants for us in life is to be right. And so they were right all the time. And if you disagreed, you were wrong and they were right. And by the way, they had the leverage because they had the grade book. And so I learned early that in Bible college, not in all Bible colleges, but in my experience with that crew, I had this terrible experience with people who had to be right, and I didn't make, it didn't make sense to me. And so my faith began to be shaken, really shaken, because I, I had based my faith on these people. And then as I started studying, I started growing in my faith because it is a Bible college. <laughs> And as I was studying the Bible, I started realizing that the Bible is not just a good compilation of stories. That it is the most significant piece of work that has ever been written in human history. And here's a couple things I heard about it. Now, if you, you're going to tune me out in a second if this stuff isn't important to you. But if it is, this might change your life. So I'll go quickly through it. Did you know that there are over about 5,600 Greek, manuscript, Greek manuscripts? This is the, the language that the New Testament was written in. 5,600 Greek manuscripts um, and over about, around 19,000 copies in various languages besides Greek for a total of about 24, almost 25,000 copies of the Bible in its original language. Okay, now, I'm not going to get into a, a long lesson, a history lesson, but it, what that means is that when, when somebody tries to, to look at, the, um, at, at how um, important and how authentic a piece of work is, they look and see how many original copies in the original language. What happened to the Bible, and it happens to all books, if it's a really good book, it gets translated in, into more languages and more languages and more languages. But the more languages that it was, or the more copies that were created originally, the more authentic they believe the book was. The Bible is one of the most authentic books in the history of mankind. In fact, it, just to give you an idea, Homer's Iliad, which is never considered as something that might have been made up, the way some people think of the Bible, never considered as something that got kind of the old game telephone um, through the ages as it was translated and passed down. The Iliad has never thought of that. Only had 643 copies in its original language. This is one of the things that got my attention first, that the, the Bible itself is this incredible manuscript from God. The entire text of the New Testament is about 20,000 lines. I didn't go through and count those. I found them. Um, 20,000 lines in the New Testament. Only 40 lines have inconsistencies between them. There are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all, from four different angles, talk about the life of Jesus. 
They all tell the same story about the same man from four different perspectives of four different guys who live in totally different lives, who didn't talk to each other, who are writing these things. And there's a book called The Harmony of the Gospels, and I read it when I was in Bible college. It's one of the books that changed my life and grew my faith more than any book I've ever read. It's really boring unless you're a preacher. But what it is, it's a book that takes all four of the Gospels, puts them together, and shows all the things that are exactly in line as the, as the four Gospel writers write about the life of Jesus. The entire New Testament was written within 70 years of Jesus' resurrection. So this isn't a group of people who wrote it thousands of years later and were writing about Jesus um, and write about what they heard. These are people, some of them, my grandpa was there. Some of them, my dad was there. Some of them, I got to see some of these things. And so these are eyewitnesses of what happened in the New Testament. And then when it comes to the Old Testament, almost 1,300 prophecies in the Old Testament that is, things that the Old Testament said would happen, um, and about 580 in the New Testament for a total of around 1,800 predictions in the Bible. And all of them, all of them in the Old Testament, and most of them in the New Testament, with the exception of some that I believe are still to come in the end times, have come true. Now, if you watch shows like uh, the Nostradamus shows, if you ever heard of Nostradamus, I'm fascinated by these shows. They're amazed that this man, like 60% of the things that he's predicted have come true. Isn't that amazing? 60%. Have you read the Bible? <laughs> and check out this next slide. I love this. So Deuteronomy says this real early on. When it comes to, the old, or when it comes to um, people making predictions in their life. So if you do like the Nostradamus things, if you do listen to the radio and somebody starts predicting the future, here's a, a really good way to test whether or not it's true. Um, Deuteronomy says this is the way you should test. Any prophet who fakes it, or who claims to speak my name, God's name, something I haven't commanded him to say, or speak in the name of the gods, that prophet, that prophet must die. I mean, there was like, anybody who, found, who said something at that point in history that, that was going to happen and it was on behalf of God, if it didn't happen, you could just be killed on the spot. And that was God's way of saying, yeah, you can tell who's fake. You may be wondering among yourselves, how can we tell the difference, whether it was God who spoke or not? Here's how. If what the prophet spoke in God's name doesn't happen, then obviously God wasn't behind it. The prophet made it up. Forget about it. One of the things that blew me away about and grew my faith more than anything was when I took the Bible seriously. I know if you're here today and you're visiting or you're listening online and you're going, yeah, this sounds like a preacher telling me to read my Bible. That's exactly what I'm doing. Because never in history has there been a document that has changed human life more than this one. Next slide, Tanya, just real quick, I want to go through this. The Bible predicts, this, this, is, this is what really started making me want to be a preacher, these, three, these, these pieces of scripture. The Bible predicts in Isaiah, this is a book written thousands of years ago, long before Jesus was born, predicts that um, a girl, uh, uh, Isaiah says, watch for this, a girl who is presently a virgin will get pregnant and she will bear a son and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. That was predicted long before Jesus was here. And then Micah says, But you, Bethlehem, David's country, the run of the litter, from you will come the leader who will shepherd, rule Israel. He'll be no upstart, no pretender. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. And Micah, this is, a, this is an old prophet, long before Jesus starts to, to, uh, to come to earth, we start, we start, they start predicting who Jesus will be. Next slide there, Tanya. I'm moving fast through these. They predicted, Psalm predicted his death, there are over 1,800 prophecies about Jesus in the Bible. And you can read books where you can 
you can just go through each one and match them up. You go to sleep when you start reading it because it gets it gets it just gets tedious. You start getting. I get the idea. In the long run, you get the idea that this book is not something that you can buy just at Barnes and Noble. This is not just another book. This is a book you can buy at Barnes and Noble now. But this book is something that was God breathed. It was written for you. And if you keep reading it, you won't believe what it will do to your faith. The Bible is one of the biggest reasons I believe. The second reason is this. Check this out. The second reason is my experience. My experience with my own sin, and I've told you this before, and I'm not going to go into it today, but my own sin in my life created this darkness in me, this anxiety in me that caused depression and caused some really dark times in my life. And when I got to finally understand what it meant to come out of sin, not to do a list of things that I needed to do, but to actually give my life to God, to spend daily time with God, I got to see something in my life that no one could prove to me. I got to see something in my life that no book would say, that no preacher could ever reiterate, and that was this real physical change in me that happened when I gave up sin and I started living life the way God intended me for me to live. Now, that's not being perfect, but that's living life with Him on a daily basis. It changed who I was. And that change in me, I'll never forget. I've also noticed it around here. I've got, I can point to people around here, which I won't do today, um, but they would be glad to talk to you after service if you need this in your life, to see physical life change in people, life change in people who started one way. They gave their life to God and completely changed their life. One of the reasons that I believe what I believe today. My experience with people, authentic life change in people. The other thing is my experience with my life. Just this is, I, I think this on Saturday mornings especially. I don't know why it is on Saturdays. I don't have a lot to do. And yesterday we were driving out to the cabin. We were getting ready to go watch the IU game. I felt like we could actually win this game on the way there. And I was just feeling really good. I looked in the back seat and I saw Reese in London. I look over and there's Reese and, and I, 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 or there's Risha. And I just, I kind of had this deep breath like, this is the life I want. You know, that life that isn't addicted to drugs the life that doesn't have secrets that I have to share from the people that I love the most. The life that doesn't have like this deep passion for clothes or cars or houses or things. This is the life that I want. It just so happens to be this is the life that God told me is what would lead me to the peace and the hope and the joy. And the closer I get to that life that he told me, the more I realize this really is what I want and what I need and what works. And the more I get, the closer I get to it, the more I realize, and the more I realize that God is right, the more my faith grows and the more I believe on a regular basis. I'm telling you right now, one of the best ways for your faith to grow is just try living the kind of life that he intends for you to live. And I'm a long way from that in my own life. I got all kinds of messes and all kinds of places in my life. But in the big categories, I'm working really hard to be the man he wants me to be. And the closer I get to it, the more I realize he's right. It's what I really need, the deepest part of me. It's what I need. One of the things that, in my, as it comes to my experience, it causes me to believe is my prayer life. It's tangible intervention. I, I still have a lot of questions about prayer, and I'll be real honest with you. We're going to get through the end of the year here. We're going to do a whole sermon series on prayer. And I'm, I'm nervous about it because I'm not an expert on prayer. In fact, I, sometimes I feel like, what am I praying for, God? You already have a plan, so what am I, I going to change your mind? You know, I, I still have a lot of these big questions that preachers shouldn't have. I just do. And, but the long run, if I start really praying hard for my kids, if I start really praying hard for some of you in this place, 
I got a friend in this place who wouldn't want me to say it right now, but it's going through some physical things in, in her life, and I've been praying harder than I prayed for somebody in a long time. And as I prayed for her, I get the emails back that things are better. And the doctor's going, this is weird. We don't know why this is better. And, and in the long run, I don't know if it's all going to be good or if it's just all going to be peace. But I, the more I pray and the more I see God answer prayers, either yes, no, or maybe, the more I, my faith grows. It's an amazing thing. I remember when I was a kid, my mom had this book she, um, that was Maxie and Minnie Muffin. Anybody remember Maxie and Minnie Muffin? Yeah, I don't blame you. You've probably repressed it much like I have, but... Maxie and Minnie Muffin were these two little kids, and they traveled through time, and they, it was really strange to think about it now. They traveled through time, and they visited all the Bible stories, you know, and they were these two little kids. And my mom, my mom and dad, they, they, they did this on a regular basis, and Darren and I, I mean, if you can imagine, you don't know my brother very well, but if you did, you just laugh to think about my brother and I sitting, listening to my mom, and my mom talking about Maxie and Minnie Muffin, you know, and telling all these stories. And in the long run, I, I, rem, I don't remember much about Maxie and Minnie Muffin. Because it really wasn't the Bible stories at that moment that was changing my life. It really, Maxie and Minnie Muffin didn't have much to do with my spiritual growth, to be honest with you. But you know what did? The fact that my mom took time every day to sit down with my brother and I. To do 10 minutes of Maxie and Minnie Muffin and then 20 minutes of what does this mean for you? And what things are going, Mom, I can't get my locker open at school. I'll never forget, how can, how can God love me? I pray every day that He'll help me remember my locker combination. I remember that was the, man, that was the worst thing in my life as a sixth grader was I couldn't get my locker open, and it destroyed me, and I couldn't believe that God could love me and, and not let me just get my locker open. And I remember my mom helping me through that time. It's, those, it's leveraging those experiences. It's going through those times and, and growing together that causes that faith. And finally... Part of the reason I believe is that I have a, a, a growing faith. And that faith is this. Here's what faith is when it comes to your belief. It's the deepest part of you, which this is why I brought up the soul series. The deepest part of you. Even if you're, if you're here today and you're not sure you believe all this, you're just kind of wanting to get to the Colts game. You, you're just stopped a minute when I said the deepest part of you. Your ears perk up. Because you know. Everyone in this place knows. Even if you're an atheist, you know that there is something deeper. There's something in the middle of you that longs for something more. And the older you get, the more you dig in to get your brain engaged in God. The more you engage, and that is every time you can. You read every book. You watch every commentary. You talk to every smart person that you trust. And you get more and more information about who God is. But you know what? You'll never get all the information. We will never prove that God exists, and He intends for it to be that way. There will never be a time where you see on CNN, CNN just came out, God exists, here's the proof. It won't happen. In fact, if you see that, you need to turn it off. Because it's probably some Christian wanting to be right. But it's not what God intends. He intends for you to get all the information you get for all, to, to, to build your brain and grow. He intends for you to leverage all the experiences you have. But in the end, if you get 100% of the, the knowledge that you can get within your lifetime, and you leverage 100% of the experiences, God still intends for there to be a gap between what you know and what you've experienced and Him. And He wants you to fill that with what He calls faith. It's the deepest part of you who says, 
even if I can't prove it, even though I can't prove it, even though I have spent my life compiling things for my brain and experiences to leverage, I choose faith. This is what God intends for you from the very beginning of your life. To grow this place. Now, in my life, I need that. I need as much brain as I can, and I need as much experience as I can because I feel like my faith is weak. But the older I get, the more I start going, yeah, man, that, that brain stuff, that just strengthens it. But my faith is getting stronger every day. No one can force me, and no one has forced me. And no one can convince, convince me to believe. I can be informed. I can be motivated. I can be inspired. But in but in the end, true faith is my choosing. And let me tell you, I've read the Bible deeply, strongly. I've experienced a lot. But in the long run, if there was no Bible, if I hadn't experienced, I still want God. The deepest part of who I am knows that I, there's a creator with a capital C and that I'm the creator. And the older I get, the more I, I, I build that, I understand that, the more God begins to leverage my opportunities to see that in my life. So today, I, if you're where I am, and I think many of you are, you, you, you read this stuff, you watch these movies, you listen to these things, and you... There's part of your brain that just goes, yes, I want that, yes, I believe that, yes. And then there's another part that goes, man, I hope that's true. <laughs> See, I said it, didn't I? You've been thinking it. I just said it. There's part of you that goes, man, I hope this is true. Because I, I want this and I want... If you're, that, if you're at that point in your life, here's what you do. These are the, this is what the Bible says. These are the ways that you start to move your faith down the road and you get your belief to where it is those of you who have just been baptized those of you who have just taken this step this is your next step when it comes to growing your faith and here's the first thing first with when it comes to your brain you need to engage your brain think <laughs> that's what engage your brain means think choose it do not come into this building let me say that again do not come into this building write down what john mitchell says and go home and not think about it again and just do it you, go, you write down what John Mitchell says and then you go match it up with what somebody smart says. You go match it up with what the Bible says. You go match it up with your experiences. You don't just come in here and, and do whatever I say and believe whatever I say up here. Don't do it. It's dangerous. Even from somebody you trust and it's not what God intends. Engage your brain. Stop reading Facebook posts that say Christian on them and believing whatever they say. Stop believing things about Obama just because somebody that's a Christian wrote it. Stop believing things about our nation. Stop believing things about faith, about God, about Satan. Stop believing those things at first glance and use your brain. If you don't use your brain as a Christian, you will perpetuate what is the most frustrating thing when it comes to our faith in my lifetime, and that is dumb Christians who perpetuate the thought that you can have blind faith and God doesn't care. If you're here today and you're a Christian, if you're here today and you're following Jesus, you need to use your brain now. Kick it out of neutral. 
Secondly, start leveraging your experiences. And the way you do this if you're an adult is that you find people that you trust. And you don't just do that, you don't just go find people that you read online. This is not people that, you know, I, I like Joel Olstein, I like um, Andy Stanley, I like um, John Ortberg, some of these big names that are sort of celebrities in our faith. Great people to listen to sermons, but they're not, don't send them an email and ask them a personal question about you. You need to find the people that are close to you, that love you, that you've invested in, and you need to help say, this thing is happening to me and it's breaking my heart. What does this mean? It's one of the best questions you can ask. What does this time in my life mean? And find people to help you leverage your experience to build your faith. There's some of you in here that have gone through some of the most horrific things that I've ever seen in the last few years. And you've sat in my living room or sat in that room back there, and you've said, what, what do I do with this? And now, this has happened within the last couple of years, now I've seen new faith and new things sprout from that because that's what God intends for you to do with your experience is to leverage it. And then finally, use your faith. You know how you use your faith? This is, this is just like, this is a muscle. You're growing it just like you would muscles. Now, now those of you who have been sitting for a long time, muscles are these things that you, you use to, to lift things and step, stand up. And, you know, <laughs> when I say exercise, some of you go, no, I don't know what that means. We're, we're, that's another sermon, okay? <laughs> but when it comes to your faith, it's a muscle. Think of it like a muscle. If, it, if you don't use it, it, it loses everything. It just becomes nothing. In fact, those of you, there's some of you here today have casts on your arms and your legs. What happens when you put a cast on your arm or your leg is it, if you, if you don't use the muscles in there, it's called atrophy. And atrophy is from no use of your muscles. And that, that atrophy causes your muscles to shrink and shrivel. And if you don't use them at some point, they become worthless. They're not worth anything anymore. Some of your faith in this room, although you may have been a Christian for 150 years, your faith has atrophy. You understand what I mean? You've put a cast on your faith. You're not using it. You're not doing anything with it. You're not exercising it. You're not serving. You're not praying. You're not growing. You're not asking questions. You're not mad at God. You're not doing anything. You're just faking it with a cast on your faith, and your faith has atrophied. No wonder you have a hard time believing. No wonder you get mad. No wonder you just want to be right. Because you've Stop using your faith muscle. All right, I've talked a long time. Ben, you guys, whoever's coming up, you come on, on up. I'll try to make that mean I'm almost done. So today, here's the thing about all this. God has been very clear about this. You know one of the things I love about God, the older I get, the more I realize he is, he is desperately in love with you, but he doesn't act like people who are desperately in love. <laughs> You know, people who are desperately in love will do anything. They'll say anything to make... I, I remember this feeling. I was in third grade. I, rem, I remember Rebecca. Her name was Rebecca. My first crush. And I, if she wanted me to... I remember she, she, she was really kind of a jerk looking back at it. I said, Rebecca, I'll do anything if I can be your boyfriend. She said, run around the monkey bars three times. And all her little girlfriends around there. I went running around the monkey bars three times, you know, and I came back to her. She goes, okay, now um, down the slide six times. And I go down the slide. And I come back to Rebecca, and all her friends would be giggling, you know. I, I would do anything. And some of us think that about God, that he would just do anything if you would just love him. God is desperate for your love, but he doesn't run around the monkey bars for you. He doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. He doesn't jump up and down to get your attention. In fact, the Bible says what God does, he speaks in a still, small voice. So while everything else is going, big screen TV over here. 
big, you know, whatever it is, big house, relationships, 401k, girlfriend, everything else is jumping up and down. God's going, hey, uh, when you're done with all that, what you really want is, is me. That's, what, that's the way God works. So if you're here today and you're waiting for God to jump up and down and you're going, I don't hear him. You guys talk about hearing him. The reason you don't hear him is because you haven't turned down the rest of the junk in your life. Maybe that's your first step today. Many of you need to hear this today. And it's my soapbox. Stop trying to convince other people to believe. And start compelling them to believe by the way you live your life. Some of you need to engage your, bar- your brain. You've been on neutral. You've quit asking questions. You've quit digging in. Some of you need to get mad around here. And I don't mean mad about the music and how loud it is. I don't mean mad about the pews. I don't mean mad about the dirt on the floor. I don't mean mad about those kinds of things. I mean mad at God. Some of you need to get mad at God. Some of the best things I've ever seen happen to a person with their faith is when they get so mad at God, they start cussing at him. Happened to David. They get so mad at God that just between them and God, they can't take it anymore. Some of the best things. Some of you need to get mad. Some of you have just been in neutral. You need to leverage your experience. Find somebody today. There's a thing in this culture, and it's in all cultures in America, but in this culture, it seems to be worse in Paragon, in Martinsville, Morgan County. We have this thing where the guys, they get in their four-wheel drives, and they do this. <laughs> Don't need anything. How you doing? I'm fine. Isn't your right arm cut off? Yeah, it's fine. Are you hurting? No, I'm good. I don't hurt. Men don't hurt. Yeah, you know who hurts? Your wife? Your kids? Your preacher? People who love you? You you, you don't talk about it. So if you're hurting today, what God wants for you is to find somebody and leverage your experience. Find somebody and say, what does this mean? What's this going through? What is this thing in my life? And then finally, use your faith. There's a whole bunch of ways you can use your faith. The easiest way is to do something physical. And boy, do we have one of those coming up. We got the mall coming up. If you're sitting here today and you're going, man, I totally get that faith atrophy thing, go see Rick Finney afterwards. Let me tell you, you won't walk away from that conversation without getting your muscles sore. Your faith muscles will be sore around here. We got the mall coming up. We got ways to serve around here. That's a great way. Another way is to be praying. You won't believe what it does when you you exercise your faith in prayer. And come see me. I can introduce you to some people who desperately need prayer in your life. I'll give you a chance today to say, to just to say this to God. And this is just between you and God today. You're going to stand up. We're going to sing this song in a, in a minute. And you can just say this to God. Okay, you ready? This, this, this easy. God, I want bigger faith. However you want to say it. I want bigger faith. I want to believe more. I, I, want, I want more of you. I want less of the world. I want more of you. Saying that with your heart open today, I'm just going to stand back. And you're going to be sore with your faith muscles. And we're going to see what God does around here. Would you stand with us and would you sing this? I'm going to be right back in there. If you want to leverage your experience today, if you want to talk about it, whatever you need to do today to get your faith bigger, you do it today. Would you stand with us?